Welcome to Sport Fanatics, episode six. Today is Tuesday, July 6th, 2021. I'm Chris. I'm Jay Mike. Today we're talking about the NBA playoffs. The finals are coming up, the Stanley Cup, and we're going to wrap up the college baseball season with some of the coaching changes that have been going on. Oh, I cannot wait, Chris. Oh, I, yeah. have, I have waited on this for quite some time now, my brother. <laughs> yeah, I know you're raring to go on this, but but for now, we're going to play the intro, so here we go. I'm coming for you today. Well, where do you want to start, J. Mike? Let's start with that exciting finish in last night's Stanley Cup Final Game 4 where the Canadians finally, in this series, defeat those Tampa Bay Lightning 3-2 to in overtime to force a Game 5 going back to Tampa Bay. Yeah, they refused to go down without a fight. Josh Anderson scored two goals for the Montreal Canadiens, including the game-winning goal with 16.03 in overtime. He scored that game-winning goal after he passed the puck to teammate Cole Caulfield. Caulfield slapped the puck off of a Tampa Bay Lightning defender. Anderson, who who didn't give up on the play, Chris, he quickly recovered the loose puck and slapped it in for the game winner. Yeah, he he, uh, got right back at it and snuck it in behind him there. I just love how he he didn't quit on that play. Of course, Tampa Bay defender is all over him, and he's he's got he's got the uh, the non non his non stick hand trying to push push away the Tampa Bay defender as much as he could, and he he gets up he gets up close to the net. He passes it to Caulfield. Caulfield then tried <laughs> tried his best to sneak one in there. Of course, got to credit the Tampa Bay Lightning defender there. But Anderson, to his credit, the will to win, the will to keep this series alive for Montreal, not giving up on that play, seeing, seeing where the – where, where the puck was still still in play, and he just does enough to slap it in for the for the game winner there in overtime. Well, but and also just some quick reaction to to get that in there and to, to pay no attention doubt. to what's going on because it just happened in a blink of an eye watching it yes. on TV. Yeah, I had to it, see it the was, replay to really get it all in. Right. It it was it was so bang bang there, um, which you had a good you had a really good feeling if you're a hockey fan or a sports fan in general watching the game last night that this this was Montreal's night that they were going to find a way to win it there 
it's just crazy how how Tampa Bay stayed in this thing. Yeah, they would not go away. They would not go away. Speaking of which, Pat Maroon of the Tampa Bay Lightning, he tied the game up for Tampa Bay with the great assist from Matthew Joseph with 6-12 left to go in that third period. Yeah, that third period was something last night. Like, the oh whole, my gosh, was it good? Yeah, and then man, you know, of course they forced it to go into overtime. That that was uh, the best, easily best game of the series so far, no doubt. And credit Carey Price, the goalie for the Montreal Canadiens, going toe to toe with that. That monster of a goalie for Tampa Bay and, and Andre Vasilevsky, as we've all seen how dominant he, he was in the first three games of this series. But credit Carey Price for just doing his job and, and, and doing what he needed to do for for uh, for, for the Montreal Canadian squad to – Keep that Tampa Bay Lightning off the scoreboard because in in Game Three, you know Tampa Bay scored three goals. Yeah, he had uh, thirty two saves last night. Just a great great job by Price to 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 keep the Lightning off off of the scoreboard and and great job of the Canadians finding a way to score off of Vasilevsky after he has given them fits on that end of the on that end of the ice but but also stat wise in in that game 4 you've got Montreal Arturi Lekanen one hit two blocks Alexander Romanov I wonder if he's kin to Natasha Romanov <laughs> of the Marvel Avengers, <laughs> a.k.a. the Black Widow, you which know, actually I think is in theaters yeah, it's pretty soon. This weekend. That's right. <laughs> so there you go. I found that I found that kind of funny whenever I saw that name. Uh, anyway, Romanoff scored a goal. Well, he was one of their heroes last night anyway. So so he he was the other Canadian that that scored a goal. Of course, Josh Anderson scored the other two, including the game winner that we just touched on. For Tampa Bay, Ryan McDonough, an assist with three hits and three blocks. Barclay Goodrow scored a goal in the contest. The Canadians improved to six and one in overtime of these Stanley Cup playoffs. They join the Montreal team in 1993 with 10 overtime oh, victories. Well, that's fitting. That's very ironic. <laughs> yeah. Very ironic indeed. They also joined the Anaheim Ducks, who had seven overtime victories in 2003. The Carolina Hurricanes with seven overtime victories in 2002. And their counterparts... The Tampa Bay Lightning, who had seven overtime victories in last season's Stanley Cup oh, playoffs. Okay. So you got some a lot of overtime going on. And a lot of irony, too. Yeah. Also, the Canadians' victory last night was the eighth time a team 
has won a game four after losing the first three games of a Stanley Cup final. Nobody's come back from 3-0 to win it all, though, have they? They have not. Yeah. It's going to be really they have not. It's going to be tough. Of course, <laughs> here. of course what we've what we've stated on the podcast before the Canadians are are no strangers from falling behind in a series in these playoffs and coming back to win it as they did such in round 1 against the Toronto Maple Leafs when they were down 3 to 1 came all the way back to win that series. So, obviously, they play better whenever their backs are against the wall. And last night was a must-win. And they, by far, played the best game of this series. Yeah, so when far. They, when, they, when they desperately needed it. They finally got to Vasilevsky. Held, held Tampa Bay to two goals. After that great night from the Lightning in, in Game Three, where they scored three, but just great adjustment by Carey Price holding that holding that Tampa Bay lineup in check enough to where you can still still a Game Four. And send this series back to Tampa Bay, where you've got a you've got a real shot to get back in the thick of this series. Well, yeah, at this point for them, it's just one game, one period at a time. That's that's it. That's it. Because if you look at the big picture, it could drive you crazy if you're the Canadians. So they just got to right. really focus on the 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 here and now, and just one game at a time. Oh yeah, and just. Keep being, keep being a scrappy team. That's gonna fight, not gonna give up. Now we know, we know how dominant Tampa Bay has been at home in these Stanley Cup playoffs, be, especially yes. in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, it's gonna be really tough. But if there if there is a group that could do it it's definitely these montreal canadians well another thing i mean if you got a 3-0 lead and then all of a sudden you're only up 3-2 that could kind of start getting in your head no doubt a little bit no doubt because game six would go back to montreal right which would just i mean that's obviously i mean it goes without saying that'd be just huge and for the canadians and how about that crowd last night in montreal just fantastic fans are out in the streets yeah, well like you said they were going to burn the place Man, down and i i mean just so happy for that that fan base in montreal getting to watch that exciting overtime victory last night the way it all played out there in the end yeah i'm really happy this didn't end up being a sweep i i know it i know it but obviously now Montreal feels great about themselves. They have confidence all of a sudden. So I'm looking forward to a great game five back in Tampa Bay tomorrow night, which would be Wednesday, to see if Montreal can definitely get back in the thick of things here in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see if they can keep this momentum rolling. 
A yeah, huge I hope, win. I hope so. Great game last night. Should be a great game five on Wednesday night. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's stick with the postseason play. Uh, the finals in basketball are about to start. Bucks beat the Hawks to move on. Won four games to two. I guess we'll start there. We'll, we'll look back at that game. Yeah, that was a 118 to 107 win for the Bucks to eliminate those scrappy, pesky Atlanta Hawks team that had a unbelievable playoff run with such a young core that they have. They did, and just their their fortunes just kind of came to a close. The Bucks just shot a little bit better. Yeah, that last game, and that was sort of the story for a lot of it, except for that one game where the Hawks were just in, incredible. <laughs> that way, and and without without their leader Trey Young on the floor, yeah. I might add. Yeah, but yeah, that 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 last game, the the Bucks got a great performance from Middleton. Holiday had a had a yeah. really good game. Yeah, he. I'm not going to lie to you, Chris. He's playing a lot better with Giannis out right now. Which is weird how that happens sometimes. Like, it's like the chemistry changes or or whatever happens. Yeah, and man, Brooke Lopez has stepped up in the paint in Giannis' absence all of a sudden. He's done a great job getting points in the paint. Same with same can be said for Bobby Portis, who has stepped up as well in Giannis's absence. But Drew Holiday played fantastic in those two game two games where the Bucks won to finally end this thing, yeah, and send them to the NBA Finals, which is their first appearance since losing to the Boston Celtics four games to three, so they did have a game seven. Wow, yeah, it was close. In the NBA Finals of 1974. Woo. So <laughs> it's it's been a while if you're a Milwaukee Buck fan. And, of course, the Phoenix Suns, the team that they're going up against, this is their first NBA Finals appearance since 1993. Yeah, this should be a really great matchup. First game is tonight. It's going to be on ABC. 8 o'clock, I do believe, Chris, yeah, eight on o'clock ABC. Central time, that's right. Uh, 9 o'clock if you're on the East Coast. But let's see. I think – I feel like this should be a competitive series. I feel like it. It there's a bit of an edge for the Suns. Yes, I'm just not sure. Because they're definitely going to have the home court advantage in this series. We do know that. That's true. Because Phoenix was the number two seed in the Western Conference playoff, and the Bucks were the number three seed in the Eastern Conference playoff. So two is higher than three. Therefore, Phoenix gets the home court advantage over the Bucks in this NBA Finals. Yeah, and that definitely helps, but... I think it's good. Both teams are pretty close. It should be a competitive series. Oh, no doubt. And, uh, le- and let me tell you why, Chris, if you don't mind. All right. Two games. Two In, in two games where 
the Suns and Bucks played each other in the regular season this year. Suns won both of them, but they were awfully close. Suns won a 125 to 124 victory. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Very and close. And a 128 to 127 win in overtime. Wow. I hope we get more of that Absolutely. in this series. If we do, if we do, people, we're in for a treat for sure. Mm. Yeah. I'm looking at the uh, which, sort of the 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 which I've I've stated that. This will be a a very entertaining NBA Finals because you've got two teams that I believe are going to fight each other tooth and nail to win that NBA championship. It'd be the first time in Phoenix Suns history. It'd be the first time for the Milwaukee Bucks since 1971 where they won an, last won an NBA championship. Yeah, it's so long ago. Well, this is the so. You're going to see a lot of competitive games in this series for sure. Well, because, bo- because because of both teams' desire and will to win. And looking at the spread here, they have for game one they have the Suns at a five and a half point advantage. I would say that's about right. Yeah, that seems that seems for for a game about one. right. But I'm 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 hoping that it's going to be one of those one point. Like, like like those two contests were yeah also this is the first finals where the two leading scorers on each team have only played for one team since the 2010 finals joining the late great Kobe Bryant of the Los Angeles Lakers oh, okay and Paul Pierce of the Boston Celtics oh yeah Pierce and of course, they played each other in the 2010 NBA final. So, let's see. Who do we think are going to be the difference makers in this? Man, that's a great question, Chris. I mean, obviously, the Suns. It's going to really depend on Chris Paul and and, how and, and Devin Booker. That's yeah, Booker and DeAndre Ayton has got to protect the paint for Phoenix because of how well the Bucks right now without Giannis Antetokounmpo are using Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis to get to get their points in the paint that way. So Ayton, got uh, especially Ayton, he he's got he's got to protect the paint in this series. Yeah, really, and, and then and then if Giannis comes back, oh boy, yeah that that'll be huge. You're gonna, for the you're Bucks. gonna have to have a, a a battery battery mate down there in the paint because that's the only thing I, I do worry about. I hope that Giannis being out doesn't sort of. I hope it doesn't catch up to the Bucks and make these games not as close as they should be. Hopefully that they can they can keep playing well like they did to close out the the series against the Hawks hopefully they can keep that that rolling without him oh, yeah. to to keep this a close series because Giannis is just such a big part of that team yeah he's he's their leader for sure and obviously as we've stated before Chris if Middleton and Drew Holiday get going 
And especially if if P.J. Tucker is knocking down perimeter shots, this Milwaukee Bucks team will win the NBA title. Yeah, when those when those guys get going together, they're like hard that, to stop, man. Really you can't stop. They're or excuse me, they're unstoppable. You you just have to admire the way that they're scoring and say, "Hey, look, there's nothing we can do." <laughs> Especially if we're getting if we're getting a hand in these guys' faces and they're still knocking out or, or knocking down big time shots, but which I feel like if Giannis does come back, it'll probably be limited. No doubt. So no doubt. And and Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis are are playing great, right? That really have stepped up in his absence. And so obviously they're going to keep attacking the paint like they have been. I'm hoping Monty Monty Williams has a great game plan for that to to stop stop Milwaukee from getting their points in the paint because they absolutely destroyed Atlanta in that category. I think that probably made the, the past difference. series. No doubt, no question about it. And then, you know, like we said, if Middleton and Tucker are hitting their shots especially from the perimeter, and Holiday is, is doing his thing, then, gosh, it's, it's so difficult to beat that Milwaukee Bucks squad when they're clicking on all cylinders like that. Yeah. Well, and, and, of course, you, you hope that Chris Paul, after that incredible 41-point performance... Yeah, speaking of clicking... ...to eliminate... You know, his former squad in the L.A. Clippers, you hope that that certainly lit a fire under him that's really going to help propel him in this series to say, hey, look, this is my time and this is my championship. Well, And, that and also- he goes out there and he proves it once and for all. Right. But it's definitely going to be a, a tough series if those cats on the Milwaukee Bucks are playing at a high level. Well, the Suns have also had the fortune of being able to sit back a little bit, rest, and then get no ready. No doubt. No doubt. Because that, that definitely helped them last series against the Clippers after they swept the Nuggets yeah, in they, the second round of the They made quick playoffs. work there, right. They were, they were able to – to, to rest and really get themselves in great shape for that Eastern Conference Finals after the Clippers had to play a, a six-game series. Yeah, they spent a lot of energy and there. And then you you have you have to think Chris Paul is it is a lot healthier yeah. after that that shoulder injury in the first round against the Lakers. Yeah, hopefully he's feeling really good. And the, now. of course, being in COVID protocol there for about 10 days or so. And then he just drops 41 in that closeout 
game over the Clippers. So you obviously expect him to to be very healthy. Well, and again, even though he had such an individual great performance in that game, it's not like the rest of the team was playing mediocre. That was another well cohesive game no from doubt. the Suns. They, they they had a great shooting night. Right. So I mean they crushed the Clippers in that game. They did. So But they, they have they they're they are going to have to keep that up. Right. And they it, they have got to go toe to toe with this Bucks team like we like we said when they are hitting their shots. Right. As well. I, I think that's what I'm hoping for that we have both these teams fully clicking here. Yes at the same time in the finals and if that happens if both are clicking i feel like the difference maker individual wise will be chris paul okay and we'll see if he had like if he has one of those 40 point nights that'll be the difference maker when you have two teams that are both shooting well yeah definitely chris paul and he he needs to keep keep on being the facilitator that he is my my x factor though for the phoenix suns is devin booker okay because after after those first two games of the series against the clippers kind of had a kind of had a cold streak there and i under i understand him getting busted up in the nose and having to wear that mask that that definitely it's probably takes some getting used to, and and pl- and plus, you're going to be thinking more about that mask. Psychologically, it's weird, but you're going to be thinking yeah. more about that mask than than your own play, right? And so that that definitely had a psychological thing going on for him. But we all know Devin Booker. We all know Devin Booker when he's on, man. Phoenix is hard to stop as well. So, speaking of having to go to go toe to toe with Middleton and Holiday and Tucker and those guys, Devin Booker is my X factor in this series to to watch for. So I I, I expect some some high-level performance out of him in this NBA Finals to okay. really, really help Chris Paul out as a battery mate and, and to really do some damage scoring-wise in this in, in this upcoming NBA Final. Okay, I mean, yeah, he should be a big difference maker for sure, but I guess we'll close this out. What's your big prediction? I'm, I think I'll take the Suns in seven. I hope. I think we're going to go a seven game series. I, I think. I think it. I think it definitely has the potential to go to seven. Man, it's tough. I mean, they're so close. I know it, and I just, I just love the way this Milwaukee Bucks team plays when they're and I do too, honestly. My gosh. There's something when, when because because that so well. When when you think of a championship team, you think of a cohesive unit. And when those cats are on, man, they are hard to beat. I believe though that this is Chris Paul's one and only shot to win an NBA championship. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm going to go off the ledge and say that this is his year. He gets it done. He wins his first NBA championship, and so do that Phoenix Suns franchise. And see, that's that was, for me, the difference as well. I think Chris Paul is really going to focus and get it done this and, year. And also, Chris Paul does a great job of – letting the shot clock wind down really setting setting things up offensively yeah letting things get set and not rushing exactly keeping the ball away from Milwaukee for a a great portion of the game is is what I believe he'll do which that's important dictating pace the way that yes you want to yes that's important yes because cert- certainly you do not want to get Milwaukee out in transition especially where they're having a great night offensively and so Chris Paul will set the pace for Phoenix and. I just I just believe that this is his time, but I I do I do believe though that he won't get back because the Western Conference is fixing to be loaded again, and you definitely are going to have those Los Angeles Lakers breathing down your neck. So in as, other words, as long as LeBron James and Anthony Davis are still there. So in other so, words, this is the year he's got to. He's got to do he's, it this he's, year. He's got, he's got to. He's got to. But I, I I believe they get it done. I'm with you. I seven. think I, I think this thing does go seven games. I sure so, hope so. <laughs> especially after what happened in the regular season. Those two one run, I mean, one point games, I should say. Yeah, uh, waiter, I'll take that, please. Just keep bringing me more of that. Yes, please, sir. Can I have some more? <laughs> yes. That'd be a fantastic way to close out this NBA season. No question about it. And it I love the matchup for sure. I, I'm just I'm happy to see two teams in there that I know are gonna give it everything they have, put it all out on the line to win an NBA championship. So it's going to be a very exciting and fascinating series for sure. Absolutely cannot wait for game one tonight, 8 o'clock on ABC. All right. Well, those are the postseasons that are still going on. We wrapped up college baseball last week. Mississippi State won the national championship. But in the meantime, we've had several coaching changes going on. And as usual, J. Mike, you've sort of had your eyes on that. Oh, no doubt about it, Chris. No doubt about it. Some big-time jobs here in college baseball have finally been filled. Let me start off with Texas A&M hiring former TCU head coach Jim Schlossnagel. What a name. <laughs> but, a, but one heck of a coach, oh, I might for add. Sure. But that's, that's, that's an interesting name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's – try saying that three or more times. Yeah. <laughs> but – Schlossnagel led the TCU Horned Frogs to five College World Series appearances 
and he made them a premier program in his 18 seasons in Fort Worth. And now he's going to be at a SEC, SEC, and a, a great fan base there. No doubt about it. And they have they have a beautiful ballpark yeah. there as well in College Station, uh, Blue Bluebell Park. He'll have plenty of toys to play with to really do the best that he can. Yes. It'll be interesting yes. to see what happens. I, and I I believe he will, Chris. I I believe outstanding hire by former Ole Miss Athletic Director Ross Bjork, who's now the AD at <laughs> Texas A&M. <laughs> yeah, how about that? Finally, yeah. making, finally making a great hire, I might add, at a SEC Power 5 program. <laughs> but Schloss Nagel is going to do great things for that Texas A&M program. TCU promoted their pitching coach, Kirk, former Major League pitcher Kirk Sarloose to head coach. So a familiar face stays in Fort Worth as Kirk Sarloose has been promoted to head coach there. Arizona State hired former MLB platoon man for the Seattle Mariners and ASU alum Willie Bloomquist. Yeah, I remember that name. Yep. Bloomquist is bringing in another former Major League player in Travis Buck to serve as his hitting coach. Arizona State fired pitching coach Jason Kelly, who was the last remaining coach from the previous coaching staff there, after he decided to travel down to Baton Rouge to interview for the LSU head coaching vacancy. You have to think that was just an excuse. Like, I... that makes me think they wanted to kind of get rid of him, and they were just kind of looking for <laughs> some way yeah. to 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 do it. And they're like, "Well, you're you're interviewing for this job. Well, bye bye." Yeah, and it's it's really kind of it's really kind of unfortunate that they did that because Kelly was the 2018 Assistant of the Year. So he's de- he's definitely a great yeah that was that wasn't long pitching ago and at all. assistant coach. So now it's looking likely that he ends up at LSU, which could just further stack them. I mean, we'll get more to them later. Yeah, but but it's it's reports are stating that it's very likely that Jason Kelly will will end up at LSU as an assistant. And as their pitching coach, Cal State Fullerton hired former ECU pitching coach Jason Dietrich, where he spent the last two seasons at. On the mound, Dietrich helped lead the Pirates, who finished 39th nationally with a 401 earn run average. And he also had one of the best weekend rotations. Starring soon-to-be first-round MLB draft pick in Gavin Williams, who went toe-to-toe with Kumar Rocker in that game one of the Vanderbilt Super Regional. Oh yeah, that's right. In a two-to-one, only only a two-to-one win for Vandy in that game. That was close. Where Gavin Williams just went toe-to-toe with that that man, San Diego. Promoted Brock Ungrich 
to head coach where he spent the last three seasons as an assistant. But crazy here, Chris, Ungrich becomes only the fourth head coach in school history. Wow. <laughs> how long they've been playing? Like, how long have their coaches gone for? That's, that's pretty crazy. So I certainly believe that that program hasn't been around for <laughs> for long or long enough because that's uh, – yeah. or, or else – They've had some incredible longevity. Yeah, or like you said, longevity-wise, the coaches before him probably did well or, or, or did enough to, to keep his job there in San Diego, and that now they're just deciding to move on, Plus, I reckon. But I guess it's nice and sunny in San Diego, so yes. if you're doing good there, why yes. leave? <laughs> yes, or as Ron Burgundy would say, San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> Kennesaw State hired former standout and KSU Hall of Famer Ryan Coe. This is something here, Chris. Ryan Coe had been a scout for the Texas Rangers since 2009. It's a bit of a job change there. No doubt about it. But he has an coach. eye for talent. That's true. Yeah. So, so that, that could help with recruiting. No, no question about it. And it also helps that they're they're bringing in a a former standout and an alumnus there, so that obviously obviously helps out as well. Yesterday, Oregon signed their head coach Mark Wazakowski to a new five year contract extension, so Oregon locks up their head coach for the next five years. Now getting to the job that everybody had their eyes on after Paul Maneri, such a long tenure down in Baton Rouge, finally decided to hang it up. And it was a crazy, ongoing coaching search for the LSU Tigers for sure. Yeah, this thing felt like it went a million different directions. They hire... Former Arizona head coach Jay Johnson, who led the Wildcats to two College World Series appearances in his six-year tenure in Tucson. He fell just short of winning a national championship in 2016 when the Wildcats lost to Cinderella Coastal Carolina. And he and his his Wildcats went 0-2 this College World Series, losing to Vandy in the opener, and then being eliminated by Stanford. So LSU has their man. Yeah, and that I've, I mean, that's a good pickup, but they, they no had their choice. They, they, they could have chose anybody they wanted. No question about it. And, and if I may add to that, Chris, Arizona second baseman slash designated hitter, Jay Johnson like like to use him in in both capacities. His name is Jacob Berry. He put his name in the transfer portal just a few days ago. He has now transferred to LSU. Which, <laughs> what a pickup for LSU! No question about it. After Jacob Berry did some damage against. Ole Miss in that super regional, yeah, for sure. So he's 
He's going to Baton Rouge with Jay Johnson, his coach at Arizona. And now they're going to be together in Baton Rouge and LSU. And he's certainly going to be well, joining. Maker. He, exact, he's going to be joining a lethal lineup next next year for sure. And definitely somebody that opposing pitchers do not want to see step up to the plate for sure. Right. But then that left a opening at Arizona, which oh, is no, another good no question about it. Job to go to. No question about it. And they just hired Detroit Tigers assistant and third base coach Chip Hill as their next head coach. Okay. Hill, ironically enough, is still the all-time leader in hits, total bases, and games played dating back to his playing career at Arizona from 1984 through 1987. So brought him back home in a way. Yes. Yes. Chip Hill heads to Tucson with a five-year deal after spending the last year with the Detroit Tigers as an assistant. Hale, who is 56, has managerial experience, but this will be his first collegiate head coaching gig. Dave Lawn will remain on staff as the Wildcat pitching coach, which was also announced yesterday. Okay. So they they will retain their, their pitching coach. Yeah, it sounds like that Chip Hale has the credentials. I guess with somebody like him, it's just a question of will they be able to recruit like you need them yes, to yes. be able to. Because obviously Jay Johnson did such a great job recruiting those West Coast kids right. to Arizona where they had a fat, fantastic lineup as we saw in that series against Ole Miss where they just completely bludgeoned the Rebels. Which I guess it helps. In the, two, two of the three games offensively. Oh, yeah. They were – they were strong in that series, and I think it does help him that you know he's an alumni there, so he knows oh, no the doubt. culture, and no doubt that can help him in that recruiting and aspect. It, it's or, also good that they retain their pitching coach, true, for recruiting purposes as well. That's true, and I'm sure he'll help. He'll help Chip Hale get accustomed to the collegiate level for sure, and but I. I still expect this Arizona program to not go away. Okay. Because Pac-12, as we know, is somewhat down, and there's only a couple of good teams in that conference that just completely outplay the rest of the teams in that conference, and it – basically consists of Oregon, Oregon State, Arizona, and Stanford. Which is interesting. I don't think it'll last too long because usually when you think baseball, you think Southeast and West Coast yes. for college. So. But obviously, Jay Johnson was getting those kids from the West Coast who can play baseball as well. Oh, yeah, and now he's going to take that recruiting talent to no doubt. Baton Rouge where he's going to have the world at his fingertips. No doubt. And he, he, 
let me tell you, he definitely wanted that Jacob Gonzalez, who's the shortstop at Ole Miss, who was a California native. He definitely wanted him, and he, he said he recruited him really hard. And so just imagine if Jacob Gonzalez would have went to Arizona and would have been a part of that lineup this past season. Yeah. My gosh. Because Gonzalez absolutely was a stud in his true freshman campaign for the Rebels. But yeah. Well, one of the people who was heavily rumored for that LSU job was Mike Bianco. Yes. And he didn't yes. end up going. Which yeah, he wasn't offered the job. Yeah, which uh, even though he he did interview, but it was basically only because the LSU hire brass wanted Woodard to interview Bianco, and so he just went through that process anyway. But still, Woodard did not offer him the job because he wanted to make his own hire, which is very understandable because that's what he gets paid to do. Right, that's part of it part of his job anyway but it's unfortunate because you and i both were well and a lot of Ole Miss fans to be fair were sort of hoping that we could gracefully move out of the mike bianco era into a new one yes yes it, it definitely seemed like it was the right time to do so but after bianco was not offered the job at LSU, Keith Carter, the Ole Miss athletic director, decides to extend Bianco for four more years. No pay raise, at least. But yeah, no, yeah, no, no pay raise until he gets this program to Omaha. Right, which is something that he's only done in one of six tries. All while having some incredible recruiting classes and yes, going to super regional very often. Yes. Now, if you don't mind, Chris, I'd like to really dive in and dissect Mike Bianco's tenure at, at Ole Miss, if I can. All right. Well, this past season, he led Ole Miss to a 45-22 and 22 record. 18 and 12 in the SEC. He hosted and won the Oxford Regional, but lost to those same Arizona Wildcats, as we just talked about in the Super Regional round. In 21 seasons at the helm, Bianco is 822 wins, 462 losses, and one tie. Which is a great record, but that's not the problem. That is that is a winning percentage of 640 in those 21 seasons he has won a shared sec western division title with lsu back in 2009 he has a record of two and three in sec tournament championship games he has won seven regionals all in oxford but there is one glaring postseason stat that remains the same. His record in Super Regionals is 1-6 all time. And that's where the problem comes in. No doubt. The only win coming in 2014 over the Louisiana Lafayette Raging Cajuns where they had to win two straight games 
to advance to Bianco's one and only College World Series appearance in 21 seasons. And that was the first appearance for Ole Miss since 1972 at the time. Yeah, and those those teams, so many of them, I mean, I'm not saying they should have won it all in Omaha, but they should have made it to the College World Series and played in Omaha to throw their hat in and you know see what happens. But wait, Chris, I have more for you and more for our listeners today. Let me go into Mike Bianco's postseason blunders, if I may. Okay. He has had two more opportunities to make an SEC tournament championship game. This, this past season, he only loses a 3-2 to two tight, close-knit game against number one Arkansas. Three to two. Never saw Kevin Copps in that game. Your offense was statistically ranked behind Arkansas. So statistically, Ole Miss and Arkansas had the best two offensive hitting ball clubs in the conference. You lose three to two. And there were two very big errors in that game, if, if I might add, that that helped Arkansas to that 3-2 to two win. Another one being back in 2016, they had a pretty, pretty decent lead over Texas A&M in the semifinal. Bianco makes an awful, questionable decision when he goes to the bullpen – uh, decides to put his closer into the ball game and Wyatt Short, who had been in concussion protocol. Wyatt Short gives up the lead late in that game. Texas A&M wins that ball game, advances to the SEC tournament championship game where they beat Florida for the 2016 SEC tournament title. So that's two for you right there. He lost the 2019 SEC Tournament title game to eventual national champion Vanderbilt after being up 6 to nothing in the first and 9-3 to entering the bottom of the fourth. Yeah, I remember that game. That was rough. Of course, the Ole Miss offense scored only one run the rest of the game as Bianco's pitching staff surrendered 11 runs in a 11-10 walk-off loss to Vandy in the bottom of the ninth inning of that game. Yeah, that, that one was really bad. Uh, Six to nothing and still a six-run lead heading into the bottom of the fourth where they surrender five runs in the bottom half of that inning. In which I'm not really. Next thing you know, it's a one-run game. I'm not really one who cares all that much about the the result from the SEC tournament. A lot of times, it really doesn't matter. Depend if on the position that we're in going in, it may not really matter to win the tournament. But that was one where definitely, when you've got a six-run lead in the fourth inning, you ought to be able to hold that. <laughs> so that's definitely a blunder. And. And that's also the thing here, Chris, is that ended up being your eventual national champion. And yeah. you get out you get out to such a hot start. That was a great team, great Vanderbilt team. 
where you have you have got to make the right pitching moves to hold that team. Now, credit them for being a great team that year, but but my goodness, when when you're up like that, you have got to put the nail in the coffin, my brother. You've got to close that thing out. But wait, I have more for you. He goes 0-2 in the 2004 Oxford Regional where they hosted, losing to Western Kentucky and being eliminated by Washington. That was his that now that was his first I understand that was his first regional that he ever hosted as head coach at Ole Miss. But losing to Western Kentucky one to nothing. And that was also the team like rapidly coming to a rise. That was no doubt. that was on their way up. No doubt. With Stephen Head, Brian Petway, Seth Smith, Cooper Osteen, Barry Gunther. Yeah. Matt Maloney pitching. I mean, good grief. In in 2012, he lost the Texas A&M Regional after a 2-0 start. In the Regional Final, he loses two straight games to TCU, which eliminated his Rebels from the NCAA Tournament. So this is the first instance, Chris, where he goes on the road and he finally has success at a road regional. Goes starts off two and zero. Only has to beat TCU one time mm-hmm. to advance to a super regional, another super regional, I might add. And he loses two straight to TCU. Guess what happened, Chris? That TCU team won that super regional, went to Omaha. Yeah. Another failed opportunity by Mike Bianco. In 2016, he goes two and done in the Oxford Regional. Yeah, that was bad. Losing to Utah, where he had a 5-2 to lead entering the sixth inning. That game ended up going extra innings. That game ended in the tenth inning. Utah got the go-ahead run, and Ole Miss is not able to tie it up or walk it off in the bottom of the ninth, so they dug an early grave there. And then the following day, they're eliminated by Tulane. Guess what, Chris? Utah and Tulane ended up not even winning that regional in 2016. You want to know who did win the regional? The team that Ole Miss didn't even play in Boston College, who swept through the Oxford Regional, was not even beaten. Yeah, it's pretty wild to not even play the winning team in your own regional. Sad and pathetic. Mm. I've got more. I know you remember this. In, in, In an embarrassing fashion... Bianco lost the 2018 Oxford Regional after winning the SEC Tournament Championship over LSU, where he 
starts starts off winning the first two games of that regional. They're in the driver's seat. So they're back in the regional final, right? But a same trend continues as the team from the loser's bracket comes all the way back and beats his Ole Miss Rebels two straight to win that regional. And guess who they were? Tennessee Tech, a OVC school, an Ohio Valley Conference school. Yeah, I mean, they, they had a great offense. That was a will of a team, but obviously that was a regional that Ole Miss should have won once you're up 2 nothing. And they bring in the right fielder to pitch. Against that stack. And he... Exactly, and he completely shuts down that stacked Ole Miss lineup. Yeah, that just came off of a SEC tournament championship. Okay, people. So that was that was his woes in the regional round. Let's go to super regionals. Super regionals. This is where it gets really painful. No question about it. In 2005, loses the Oxford Super Regional to eventual national champion Texas after they led one game to none in that series. Texas wins the remaining two games to advance to Omaha where they win a national championship. Yep. That was arguably Bianco's best season to win a natty, was, for sure. Yeah, it was an incredible team. That team was stacked full of talent. The next year, in 2006, another series where he, lead, where he led one game to none, had two chances to win that series. Miami wins the remaining two games to finish off the Rebels in 2006. It's like a replay. It's like just watching it happen again (laughs) the next year. In 2007, but this time on the road, he is swept in two games at Arizona State. Then he, he did not make another Super Regional appearance until 2009 where he hosted the Oxford Super Regional against the Virginia Cavaliers. This is where I learned not to count how many outs are left. Exactly. Wins in walk-off fashion in game one with a Matt Smith homer off of Virginia closer Arico. Four to three. And there was a huge Virginia error that, that led to Ole Miss coming back to win that game. But they had a one to nothing lead with one out in the bottom of the eighth inning. So they're five outs away from Omaha. And let me tell you what happens. Now, was this strictly on a player for once? <laughs> yes. The ball is hit to the second baseman. We all know that second base is not that far from first base, correct? Yeah, pretty close. You're right there. Instead instead of you figured if if an overthrow were to happen, it would be over the first baseman's head. 
No, 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 no. This guy cut the cake here, Chris. He underthrows the first baseman. He just had to be thinking too much or something. He underthrows the first baseman. Yeah. And the next thing you know, Virginia all of a sudden capitalizes on that era, catches lightning in a bottle, ends up winning that game, I believe, five or six to one, where they absolutely put on a hit parade in the bottom of the eighth. Of course, they win that game, and Virginia goes on to win that game three, where Ole Miss, once again, doesn't even bother to show up. Then, Chris... For the next 10 years, they wait to go to another Super Regional. So, in yes, in 2014, he finally did get over the hump. He had he had to come, come from behind in that series where Louisiana Lafayette led that series one game to none. Obviously, was in a tight-knit ball game in that game, too. Had some heroic performances out of starting pitcher Christian Trent, a big-time home run by Preston Overby, a huge pimp job there, (laughs) which gave Ole Miss the lead. And then they're able to extend that lead. I believe it was either – yeah, I believe it was the eighth inning where they extended that lead to five to two, if I'm not mistaken. They hold on to win game two. And then they get a not so much of a a, a late rally, I would I would say, because they were up six to four, but they definitely got a lot of insurance runs late. And that ninth inning where they just explode there in the ninth for with four runs. So yeah, that was that was the advance. Year they, they finally broke through, but they that was one of those where the bracket lined up. They they hosted another Oxford Regional. They go on the road to a Conference USA team. I mean, let's be real. That was a Conference USA team where you were expected to beat them, even though they were a – Lafayette was a national seed. I believe they were number six national seed. But – they took care of business in games two and three, and Bianco finally got over the hump, made his first College World Series appearance, where they finished third that season. But let's go to 2019. Yeah, there was a bit of a lull after that, but then finally in 2019. 2019, he goes on the road to Arkansas in that Super Regional Horrible, horrible showings in games one and three. Awful pitching, zero offense in games one and three. Come out swinging in game two. And obviously, we all know that game two is the swing game in a series for momentum purposes. And they don't even show up in game three. Where... I might add, the previous two times that Mike Bianco brought his Rebel team into Fayetteville, they won both of those series. 
So he had success in Fayetteville. Well, again, winning it's, a series it's just, there in that hostile environment. Because let me tell you, folks, it's crazy up in up in Hog Heaven. Yeah. Well, down again, there. It's, it's just the postseason issues. And last but not least, and I'm about through with his postseason blunders here, but he loses this past Super Regional on the road at Arizona, which was a repeat performance of the 2019 Super Regional. Yeah, it's like watching a replay again. Awful pitching and awful offensive performances in games one and three. So there you have it with his blunders, his postseason blunders, I might add, his postseason woes, whatever you want to call it. But the fact remains the same, Chris. He is a great regular season coach, for sure. And he also like he win he wins forty or more games. It seems like every other season, at least. Yeah, and he also did a great job building up a program. But he he doesn't get it done in the in the postseason. Exactly. He might do it in Hoover because we know Ole Miss is always a mainstay in Hoover have had great success for quite a while in that tournament. But you don't need to be playing your best baseball in that tournament when there's another tournament approaching. And it's very and it's very sad and ironic, but his players during the off season and during especially during the the preseason right before the season get started they have this workout called the omaha challenge he's only been to omaha one time in 21 seasons he's one in six all time in super regionals now when i say that i mean i'm talking about winning or losing a super regional right. not not an overall yeah record because it's it's more than that yeah it's just the the series wins. The series, exactly. The series wins. He is one in six. He has had there. There have been plenty of times that I just stated where he led the series one game to nothing and had two opportunities to close it out at home and and in, in, in front of the great fan base of Ole Miss at Swayze Field. Yeah, and uh, in front. As the years have progressed, in front of a growing stadium that's bigger than ever, and right with better facilities, right? Because in two thousand and nine, that's when they 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 made those renovations, making it to where they could put more fans in the seats. And let me tell you, they packed it out that weekend in Oxford against Virginia in two thousand nine. But they're five outs away from Omaha. And I understand that that was a very mental and physical error by the second baseman, which opened the floodgates. But you've got you got to wash that game away after that, and you have got you have got to tell your guys this is this is our city, this is our field, and we're going to go out there. And win this game three and get to Omaha. 
And what I'm seeing, Chris, is not enough, not enough motivation. Because we know that in college, these college co- these college coaches have got to be the motivators for for these young kids. Because these young kids are away, most of them, if not a good majority, are away from their families because they're they're out of state kids. Well, and they're also and, and and they don't have they don't have that that adult to really motivate them and and to get them right mentally. Well, and they're also they're not professionals, so yeah, they need they need exactly. more guidance from uh, coaching staff and from leaders on the team to perform at their best. And, and and what what bothers me about Bianco Chris is the way that he motivates his players is by some sad sap motivational story, a story. Kids don't want to hear a story, especially college athletes. If they if they wanted a story, they would go back in time to when they whenever they were two to five years old being tucked in at night and mommy and daddy come in and read them a bedtime story. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, gr- you're, you're, you're a grown college athlete now. You need, you need some wisdom, especially, especially when you get punched in the mouth like that, where, where you lose, you lose a rough game or you lose a game where you were up. And you were five outs away from going to the College World Series. You need you need somebody to grab you up by the coattails and lift you up. Tell you that there is tomorrow. To fl- to flush whatever just happened, that there is a tomorrow, and that you have a great opportunity to go out there and to advance to the College World Series, the mecca of college baseball, I might add. But he's only done that one time in 21 seasons. And it's unfortunate. It's sad, but it's true, people. I, I, I know a lot of people say it's about the players and their chemistry. But here, here's, the, here's the deal, folks. When the guy and his staff are recruiting top classes – each and every single year, you figure at some point it's going to come together, right? It's not, and it's not happening under Bianco's tutelage in Oxford. Well, and beyond that, and that and that that that's on coaching, Chris. And of course, we've seen it time and time again. He has made very, very, very questionable decisions late in ball games. Proving my point, he is not an in-game manager. He micromanages. And the heck with him and his analytics. The heck with analytics in baseball. You can have it in football, any other sport, I don't care. In analytic, well, analytics in baseball, throw that out the window. I'm against that. I'm against analytics in baseball. When you get paid over a million dollars, to coach a college baseball team and you're only going to one college world series in 21 seasons as a head coach, you get your butt beat by Arizona 
and that super regional and and you get extended another four years some somebody must love you that's all i gotta say because there's a lot of us out there that were expecting a change like we just talked about it was the perfect time for a change for that program. Because let me tell you, people, this Ole Miss baseball team is fixing to lose a number of key cogs from this past season. They're fixing to lose Gunnar Hoagland in the MLB draft. Pitcher. Their ace, I might add. Their Friday night ace. They're fixing to lose their number two starter in the weekend rotation in Doug Nikhazy to the MLB draft. They are losing their closer, Taylor Broadway. So their three best pitchers that kept them kept them in it all season long, and kudos to them. It's just unfortunate that Gunnar Hoagland went down with that injury. Now, they still wouldn't have won that Super Regional, even with him, because we all know Mike Bianco's track record. He still would have found a way to screw it up. But so so those guys are leaving. It's a very good chance that Tim Elko leaves in the draft. It's a very good chance that left fielder Kevin Graham and utility man Justin Bench, it's a very good chance that they leave if they get drafted. So basically it would have been a good time to start afresh. And the guy that I can make a very strong and valid argument for that built Ole Miss baseball to where it is today is Dan McDonald. 15 years as a head coach at Louisville. He was an assistant under Mike Bianco when Bianco first began his tenure in Oxford. Dan McDonald, number one in wins since his hiring in 2007. He has a 643 and 266 overall record with five College World Series appearances. We all know that Mike Bianco has struggled mightily against his arch rival Mississippi State, who just won the national championship, I I might add. Mississippi State's last College World Series appearance in 2019, his his Louisville Cardinals eliminated Mississippi State when Mississippi State was up 3-2 to two in the ninth inning. Three outs away mm-hmm. from, from extending, extending their stay in Omaha and eliminating Louisville, not so fast for Dan McDonald and those Cardinals as they rally for two runs in the bottom of the ninth to eliminate Mississippi State. Well, On the grand stage, but, but I here, might add. Here's the bind that Ole Miss – finds themselves in the problem is because of Mike Bianco's history there's thought that I I think I I buy that if we just fire him that it'd be hard to get him yeah McDonald or Godwin or or, yeah any of those former assistants because they're they're loyal yeah so to be and I understand that you 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 do you do want to keep it classy and yeah, and and show show respect for the guy that brought you in, but and even beyond that, it'll be hard to bring in some of the best coaches when you fire a guy who has had such a great record. 
yeah. in the regular season, like we were talking about, 822 to 462 and one. So that's the bind is we you can't fire him, but it would have been nice if he could have gracefully got a new job to create an opening that Ole Miss could have filled. And who knows? Maybe it wouldn't have worked out, but that's a chance I'm willing to take at this point to – to try somebody new and see what yeah. they can do with the program. And that that's that's what I firmly and strongly believe in is that you you, you can you can let go of a coach that has had success at a program or for a franchise, but there have been plenty of examples where finally the higher ups say enough is enough. He just can't get it done in the postseason when it really matters. And there have been plenty of cases where teams have made transitions to another coach, and that coach got them over the hump. It takes the last step that they need. My goodness, it happened happened twice in these NBA playoffs with Nate McMillan – taking over a 14 and 20 overall record of the Atlanta Hawks squad goes 27 and 11 the rest of the way gets them into the playoffs as a top 4 seed go on an incredible run he gets them to the Eastern Conference Finals where they finally win a game in their franchise history them being in Atlanta that is So for the first time, he led them to two wins in the Eastern Conference Finals. That's a coach, and you saw it every time. Every time in a in a tough loss, he was in that locker room motivating his players, picking them up off the canvas, telling them that they got they got another great opportunity the following game to pick themselves up, dust themselves off, and to keep fighting in that series. And that's what they did. And they fought all the way to the bitter end, people. And kudos kudos to that man. There's been instances where there was a championship caliber team like the Toronto Raptors in 2019 where, yes, yes, they acquired Kawhi Leonard, but they still had a lot of those pieces in place. They... They let go of Dwayne Casey, who couldn't get it done in the playoffs. They make a transition to Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse is the guy that helped lead them to their first world championship. So there's obviously so many times where a franchise or a team – knew that they needed to make a, a change at the head coaching position. They did it, and, and that cat ended up catapulting them well, to to heights they had never even seen before. Ty Lue is another great example. We've touched on Doc Rivers' playoff struggles. Steve Ballmer and that Clippers organization made the right move by letting go Doc Rivers because Rivers was not getting it done in the playoffs. Collapse after collapse after collapse. They go to Ty Lue. Ty Lue takes them to their first ever Western Conference Finals appearance in 50 years. 
of that franchise. Well, and for a baseball example, I mean, this isn't a perfect example because I actually really like this coach, but you got uh, Buck Showalter. Joe Madden did it in Chicago. Well, yeah, but 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 Buck, Buck Showalter, he was with the Yankees when they were on that rise up in the early 90s but yeah, then yeah to actually oh I, and i love buck, buck Show same. that's why i'm well. saying I, this isn't a perfect example but he 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 helped bring the yankees up and then of course they brought in joe tory and, and he did an incredible job in baltimore yeah well as well, well and then coincidentally they were four games away from the world series chris in and, 2015 and coincidentally he was manager for the diamondbacks the year before they went to the won the World Series. So like Yeah, they, they, they made that transition to Bob Brindley and Bob Brindley was able to Yeah, so I don't help I, lead them to a World Series title. That's right. You know, that's some bad luck for Buck Showalter. I'm not sure why he would always be leaving teams right before they won the World Series, but uh, that's just an example of teams changing coaches and then when, winning when, those when, World when Series, they, taking when, that final step. When it's the right time, and I, I felt like this was the right time to do it. If you don't get Dan McDonald and Cliff Godwin, fine. But give somebody else an opportunity. Because, let me tell you, the t- 2022 Ole Miss Rebels, baseball Rebels, are – Going to take a step down. Yeah, it's a rebuilding and it's just, year. And it's just a matter of how big that step down is going to be. And if it is, Keith Carter, you've got a lot of questions coming your way, brother. Well, do you think Keith Carter could be like <laughs> waiting here to see if they have, you know, sort of a crappy year to as an excuse to fire him? <laughs> do, you, do you think that could be a possibility? Maybe so, but... Since he probably feels like he can't do it this year. I would have started the new transition now. Yeah, now would be ideal, but with him not leaving. Because who who's coming back well, pitching-wise? Yeah. Nobody's coming back pitching-wise. And and let me tell you, Chris, out of, all, out of all of those seasons that I've kept up with Ole Miss baseball, this was the worst statistical year pitching-wise that I've seen under Bianco. And that also – falls under his pitching coach, Carl Lafferty, who all I hear about is he's such a great recruiter. He's such a great recruiter. Well, not well, why, why are you not coaching and, and developing these kids? Because I saw zero development this year out of that pitching staff. And when Gunnar Hoagland went down with his injury, that was all she wrote. Now, credit Doug Nikhazy, heart of a freaking line, stepping up in his absence, and shoving it the rest of the way. Didn't even lose the rest of the way. Taylor Broadway was the constant closer that closed things out. That was also a questionable move by Mike Bianco throwing his closer in that game three. Something that he hadn't even done all year long. You're putting him in an uncomfortable situation from the get-go. I understand you don't have much after Nikhazy, but you obviously need your closer if you're in a tight-knit ball game down the stretch to help help get you to Omaha. You figure you want him at the end. But you throw him in a very uncomfortable situation early and – 
Also, credit Jay Johnson. Jay Johnson and his players watched film, I'm sure, of Taylor Broadway because they were all over his tail. I mean, early. They were on him early, and they got him out of the ball game early, and and we all know that was all she wrote because there, there's nobody, there's nobody behind him. So he should have done what he did in the SEC tournament and throw a guy that Arizona absolutely did not know much about, didn't have no film of, and that's what's crazy is Bianco manages his best in the SEC tournament, and but that's not what you're playing for. You want to silence your critics? Get it done in the NCAA tournament. Get it done in the Super Regional round. And he hasn't done it in seven tries, but one time. Yeah, and with those recruiting classes, you should be going more than just once out of seven tries. Absolutely. Not, Not motivating, not developing players, not picking them up when they get punched in the gut. Especially in the NCAA tournament. Now, in the regular season, they bounce back all the time, and we we see that. But where is it at? Where is it at when it when it really matters the most? It's just it's just where I'm where I'm getting at. And it it's just unfortunately it's the same circumstance after same circumstance. And well, the thing I'm is, afraid we, it's only going to continue, Chris, and, until he's out of until he's out of Ole Miss. Could, because I have a bold prediction for you, but I've also have stated this on plenty of occasions. As long as Mike Bianco is in Oxford, Mississippi, Ole Miss baseball program will never make it back to the College World Series. That's a bold prediction, but I'm it's one that I'm banking on. Well, and, I'm and not, I feel a hundred percent confident about. I'm not even all that sure he'll still be here after the next year or two. And it certainly do, and it certainly doesn't help when his rival down the road just won a national championship and they've been to three consecutive college world series appearance under Chris Lamonis in his only three three years yeah. at the helm at Mississippi State. And they've had like And he was the one that got the Bulldogs over the hump. Yeah. Not had, Ron Polk, not yeah. John Cohen. Now Ron Polk built the program just like a lot of you believe that Mike Bianco built the program at Ole Miss. But there's another coach that can get it done. Mm-hmm. People people believe the, the guy that built the program is the guy that can get it done. More times than not, that does not happen. Credit John Cohen for revitalizing the program after some very tough, tough years. They're down in Starkville. He takes them to the 2013 College World Series final where they just came up short, but he didn't get it done. And then they make they just and, and, and credit him because he made the hire, okay? Let's not forget he's the athletic director now in Starkville. Yeah. He made the hire to Chris Lamonis, even though Chris Lamonis was not their top choice. But what I what I liked about it, Chris, is is I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that his dad either went to – Chris Lamonis' dad, that is, went to Mississippi State or possibly played for Mississippi State. But anyway, there was some history there with 
with the Lamonis family in Mississippi State. And or or or, or maybe maybe he was just a fan and that that's kind of that's kind of what I kind of gathered as well, but Chris Lamonis takes over that program and in three years he wins a national championship. Now, I understand that everything lined up perfectly for the Bulldogs, but let me tell you people, they got absolutely bludgeoned to death in Hoover. They got run ruled twice to Florida and Tennessee. That team was in shambles. You figured entering the NCAA tournament, but it takes that motivator. And I loved his press conference after they got eliminated by Tennessee. He said, I will have my team ready to play. These boys will be ready to play. And I'm not sure what all he said, but it obviously worked because they went on a incredible run and a historical run for not only that baseball program but for Mississippi State Athletics as well that being their one and only national title in school history in any sport so there are coaches that can take what you built but make it better turn it into a championship winning team or and or teams oh yeah because i mean the pieces are all there in oxford now with the facilities and the fan base and well the 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 recruiting history now so they've got the pieces they just need the they need that final that final piece of postseason performance and and it's just what they need and and the road, Chris, is obviously only getting tougher by the day. When I just said a little a little bit ago, Texas A and M hiring Jim Schlossnagel from TCU oh, yeah, has that. took took the Horn Frogs to five College World Series appearances there, and the coach that that just beat the ever loving crap out of you in the Super Regional round in Jay Johnson at Arizona, is now hired at LSU. And he's bringing in his second baseman slash DH in with him to go along with your son that's in that lineup, which I understand, you know, you you told your sons you, di- you didn't want them playing for you, and I understand that. But not only do you have to deal with your son, you got to deal with the coach that just beat you to death. Jacob Berry that beat you to death in that Super Regional. And LSU is bringing back a lot of talented players that, you know, were two games shy of a College World Series appearance as their self. So, yeah, this is, is tough and just getting tougher. And then I'm sure Chris Lamonis is bringing in a lot of highly talented touted guys out, coming out of high school because we all know Chris Lamonis recruits at a very high level as well. We know Arkansas is a power program right now. 
Yes. So in other words, Van, Vandy has played in the na- in the last two national championships. Um, you always got to look out for Florida because there's a lot of talent in the state of Florida, and they're going they're going up to Gainesville to play Tennessee, yeah, and they, the job that Tony Vitello has done in Knoxville. Yeah, they've really improved. They are on the rise. You know, take taking them to the College World Series in only his fourth year at the helm. So the SEC is not only getting tougher, it's getting stronger and stronger in a hurry. And now was the best time to have made a change to get someone in there with their their own philosophy, their own ideal thinking and ways of how to build up their own program. But as long as Mike Bianco is in Oxford, I'm sorry to say this, people, the Ole Miss baseball program will never, never make it back to the College World Series. All right, well, let's close out on some baseball with the random page of the day. I went to baseball reference, and then I just chose random like I like to do to see where in history we get to go. And today it took us to May 29th, 1998 with the Houston Astros at the Colorado Rockies which is kind of appropriate because we're going to be in Denver for the All-Star game. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's right. In a few days, so how about that? But That's right. I can't wait for that. At the time of their meeting, the Astros were 33 and 20, doing pretty good. The Rockies were 22 and 32, not doing very good. But the Astros won 7-6. Wow, good game. Yeah, pretty high scoring, which you'd expect in Colorado at the time. And uh oh yeah. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> but that that's also a pitcher's ballpark. Had they started using humidifiers yet? For I, this? I don't think so. Yeah, so <laughs> that's that's a big at that elevation why then, yeah. Yeah, it was like the ball was just flying, which I hope for the but Yeah, that's that's a pitcher's ballpark for sure. I hope for the home run derby they're not going to use a humidifier in Denver. I'm sure they're not for the all-star weekend oh that's a great point chris that they shouldn't use a humidifier yeah yeah because we, we we might see some very close rounds of matchups between two guys in this year's home run derby for sure yeah if if it if it goes how i think it's gonna go <laughs> which but, is not, which is gonna be less home runs and a lot of okay who wants it more <laughs> <laughs> Some of the best players in this game for the Astros, Craig Biggio, went two for three. Hall of Famer. Yeah. Scored three runs, one RBI. Uh, let's and see. He, and he played He played every position on the field. Yeah, he could go all over the place. I mean, during his MLB career, he played every single position, including pitcher. Moises Alou that, went two for five. Alou. Two RBIs. One of my one of my favorite Chicago Cub players. Yeah. Someone else who had a good game. I'm not as familiar, quite as familiar with Derek Bell, but he went three for five with three yeah, RBIs. Yeah, that that's right. I do remember him being on that 1998 Houston Astro squad when a rookie by the name of Kerry Wood of the Chicago Cubs struck out 20 of those Houston Astro hitters 
in one game, oh, yeah, what tying a, tying the National League record at that time. Yeah, what a performance that was. And then, uh, coincidentally, pitcher for the Astros in this game was Mike Hampton, who would later go to Colorado. Oh, he was he was a great pitcher as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? That's very ironic about that, Chris, where he pitched against the team that he would wound wound up being at, which was the Colorado Rockies. And then then he had a he had a a, a small stint in Atlanta, but a good one at that. When he was a part of that pitching staff in Atlanta with John Smoltz and Greg Maddox and Tom yeah. Glavin. Yeah, what a staff that was. Oh my gosh. And I'm trying to remember that Ortiz I I think he was he was a starter in that rotation. I believe if I remember correctly his name was Ramon Ortiz. He was a decent starter as well. Atlanta Braves fans, you might need to help me out with that, but if I remember correctly his name was Ramon Ortiz. That was another pretty good pitcher in that stacked rotation. Yeah. Back in Atlanta that unfortunately didn't win a World Series with that group. Yeah, which is just an incredible. That's a shame. <laughs> it's a shame. Now, MVP for the Rockies in their loss was Larry Walker. Oh, man. Larry Walker. How could you not forget Larry Walker? He uh, only had one My hit. Gosh. He was one for three, but he had five RBIs. Yeah. So. Yeah. Let, let, me, <laughs> let me tell you, he did that. He did that a pretty good bit. Over the course of his illustrious career so, in the yeah. majors, what a what a game for him! Yeah, he he's one of those. I don't mean this in a bad way. He's one of those players where I'll kind of forget about every now and then. I'm not gonna lie to you. I did forget about him until you said that. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm kind of beating myself exactly. up about it because that, that's what I'm, I'm getting at. I, I I'll remember them, and it's like, oh yeah, that like great player who <laughs> did a lot of you know yeah. Oh, yeah, and then I remember Larry Walker ended his playing career in St. Louis for the Cardinals. Yeah, that's right. He did at the very tail end. But, yeah, I mean, how how can you not forget about Larry Walker? What a – But to to wrap this up on the this one game real quick, interestingly enough, the Astros had a 7-1 lead – Going into oh, the eighth inning, bottom me. of the eighth inning, and the Rockies scored five in the bottom of the eighth to come back to seven and six, and the Astros just barely hung on. So yeah, it, it was a blowout that got a lot closer there at the end. And, and and let me let me guess, Colorado started their rally once Mike Hampton was taken out of the game. Oh, I'm sure. Let me see. Go, freaking figure. Yes, yeah, it's, it's got to be. Mike Hampton innings pitched. If it'll show me. But also in that ballpark though, if if you wanna if you wanna get something going offensively, you've gotta have like these bloop singles to just fall. Which that definitely can happen it being it being a, a big ballpark. Uh, I guess he was out there. He had he had three earned runs, so I guess they took him out in that inning. Wow, well they they about they about paid for yeah. not taking them out sooner. I guess because so. you you said it was what seven to six. Yeah, it was Houston the win. Final. Woo. He about lost that game. 
Yeah, once again, these these coaches, man, they get they get paid they get paid millions of dollars to just make boneheaded decisions time time after time after time. <laughs> boy, oh boy, would I love to get paid that much. Oh, yeah. To actually do <laughs> actually do my job. I don't know if I want that much pressure though. <laughs> Shoot, I would fully embrace it. Cause I I would be the one that would feel confident that I could I could get the job done. So, but yeah, that's our game of the game of the week. Uh, yeah, that was a good one. Or Chris. random page of the day. Yeah, that was a that interesting was, game. No doubt about it. Brought us back to late late nineties baseball, man. and yeah, brought back some memories. So, no doubt about it. That was again May twenty ninth, nineteen ninety eight. Astros at Rockies. All right, well, that does the show for today. It's, I think it's pretty obvious what we've got to look forward to, but what you what what has your eye the most, J-Mike? Well, after last night's exciting conclusion in Game 4 of the Stanley Cup Final where the Montreal Canadiens finally get a win in this series after just being totally dominated by the lightning in the in the first three. Yeah, kind of clawing back in a bit. I am looking forward to game five back in Tampa Bay on Wednesday night. Yes. Yeah, be- between the Canadians and the lightning to see if the Canadians, the come from behind Canadians, as, as I'm starting to – call them all of a sudden can win another game and etch themselves right back in this series all of a sudden oh yeah for sure there that'll be interesting to see but of course can't forget about the nba finals just about to tip off yes tonight tonight. i i like i said i'm excited to see i think it'll be a seven game series man it's gonna be fun i'm hoping for one of them one point games again tonight like we were talking about earlier man uh don't forget to follow us sport fanatics on twitter yeah please follow us folks spelled just like the way the, the show is spelled with an x at the end uh, that's on twitter where where can they find you j mike you can add me as a friend on facebook my name is john michael mcbunch you can follow me on instagram and twitter my handles on both of those accounts are at J underscore Mike check. So feel free to add and to follow me and I'll be sure to follow you back. All right. Now I'm at Christopheles 11 on Twitter. Chris top holes one, one. That's pretty much the only social media I really use, but, uh, You'll see me on there, sometimes posting about <laughs> sports, other random stuff, a lot of times racing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, racing a lot. That, that, oh, yeah. That's me on there. But, you got to love it, though. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but, yeah, that, that does it for this week. Until Friday, y'all have a good week. See you then.